This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Open the Voice Gate for October 25th, 2022. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network feed or on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you would like to donate to the show, click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com lighting site. You click the red boxes to sponsor this podcast and you can set up a one-time or reoccurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts, it's your old pal, Mike Spears. Joy alongside your other co-host, Case Lowe. And Case, it is a interesting time of the month for Dragon Gate, I feel like. Like, this weekend really kind of felt like, at least for me, that, like, Dragon Gate was amongst the world for, like, the first time in this whole entire project. Uh, how are you doing? I, it, I That's a very roundabout way of me asking you that, but how's it going, bud? Oh, in a rare... In a rare moment on this show, personally, I am doing quite well. I've had a very good few weeks. I'm pretty content with the way certain things are going in my life right now. I just, you know, we I, I come and I sit down on this podcast. I've got Mavericks Pelicans going on in the background right now instead of my usual diatribe of whatever Japanese wrestling I'm trying to catch up on. And I sat down, turned on my microphone, started talking to you, and I realized... What the hell are we going to talk about this week? We watched a lot of wrestling and we have very little thoughts on all of it. It's just one of those times that I I feel like this happens often, at least more recently, uh, uh, before a big five, that everything really gets up. Like we have a full card for Gate Destiny. We'll be not getting to that this week. That We're going to talk about that with you all next week as we get closer. But the thing is, is that everything's pretty much set. So at least when we talk about these Hakata shows from Sunday the 23rd, it, it, it's a lot of spinning plates. And sadly, one of those plates might have been cracked on Sunday, but it looks like every it's full steam ahead, at least in Japan. And then the U.S. stuff is just it, it's fascinating. Like, I feel like this last week in a lot of ways personally confirmed some thoughts I had about this entire exercise and then kind of privately it it confirmed that as well this whole dg in the usa thing so it's going to be an interesting show this week is what i'm saying yeah i i certainly hope so you know it, it seems like in japan rio saito took an adderall and was like okay we're gonna do full match cards let me book out two weeks in advance now which is very odd for dragon gate specifically even 2015 2016 2017 when like any other promotion we were getting cards ahead of time it the fact that we got the full gate of destiny card this week i think 
one makes this podcast a little bit awkward because we have a bunch of stuff to talk about that we're not going to talk about this week. We're going to wait until next week. And then two, we watched a bunch of shows that that weren't very good. But uh, yeah, there's a lot going on right now. At some point, I, I have fallen behind on what is going on in Mexico. I, I saw this afternoon that there is a, a scramble match with, uh, among uh, others, Fujiwara and El Hijo del Vikingo, uh, as well as Brazo de Ora Jr., who I, I, I quite like from the little bit I've seen of him. Yeah, so, I, 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 I'm, I'm high on Brazo yeah, de Yeah, there's, there's... He's got there, it. There, there's names in that that I, I really... That's a DTU match that's on YouTube, so I'm going to check that out. There's the DTU match where Shun and SB teamed. I haven't seen that yet. That's on Drangate Network. There's a bunch of stuff in, in Mexico that I haven't got to that I will at some point. But this will be a U.S. and Japan show with these two Fukuoka shows that happened over the weekend and then the uh, uh, smattering of U.S. indie dates that were worked over this past week. Yeah, so without any ado, let's just get straight into Fukuoka. It was the usual day-night doubleheader at Across Fukuoka on the 23rd. The show will be up on the network, or the shows will be up on the network until the 30th. As usual, there is wrestler commentary, but I didn't check to see who it was uh but just overall just off the top case uh felt like a pretty standard fukuoka uh double header which is it which coming for me does not it is not like lauding them with praise it just kind of was two wrestling shows that they had to do at this building that night and they taped it yeah, it's not that standard, you know, Dragon Gate May Cork and Hall show or that standard Dragon Gate Osaka number two outing. When you say a standard Fukuoka show, that is not exactly high praise. And these were two shows that I certainly did not live up to any sort of praise being bestowed upon them. Now, I thought the first show was better than the second show. I actually was borderline notebook on one of the matches on the first show, and then something happened, which we'll discuss in just a minute. But these these shows were were pretty lifeless. I I think they survived pretty well. Where were they at last? That was the Kobe double shot was last week. I I, I thought in Kobe they did a really good job of maneuvering around no Yamato and no Shun and no SB, and these shows felt a little thin for whatever reason. Even if it was the same format of a double shot in one of their strong markets, these were really the first shows I think post World when you had guys in Mexico and guys in America and guys really all over the world, where it's like, mm, okay, we're missing something here. There, there are missing elements on this show, and it would be greatly appreciated if they could come back, which luckily on November 6th, they will. Yeah, just the the, the two shows. It, it was something that I think the day show specifically, it started off with a, with a match that the crowd was really, really into. And then as the show went on with few exceptions, their hands went more in their hands. and Their hands know, they, went more in their hands? Uh, they were sitting on their hands. Their hands I, went more into their pockets. I follow. I just want to be they sure. I didn't, I, yep. I didn't know if the people of Fukuoka had some special talents I was unaware of. They just might. I mean, a lot of stuff happens in Hakata case. It's a happening place, Hakata. Is it? Is it a bustling town? I, you know, uh, when I looked into... Hakata when I wanted to write to look into and write about uh the Hakata Star Lanes. It's an interesting city. Like it, it's like one of the top ten biggest cities in Japan, but it's like part of like these big population centers that are trying to get people not to move to Tokyo and Osaka in a lot of ways. And I and because I'm a massive nerd, I kind of find that stuff fascinating. So 
yes, Hakata is a happening town. However, what they replace Hakata Star Lanes is not happening whatsoever. What's the U.S. comp? Is it Milwaukee? Y- you see, I think Milwaukee and like Minneapolis are cool towns. And you're saying, and you're saying Hakata's uh, not. I I I I I'll say from never have been to Hakata and never have been this. I, I I'm going to say Hakata kind of has a little bit of San Diego vibe. Oh, uh, a little okay. bit of that. Okay, I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, right. that's that's not no not a bad thing to me by any means. Hey, I mean, we're, we're talking about you're not on the main island, and it's West Coast Japan. You know, kind of has a vibe. Kind of okay. has a vibe. All right, that might explain why some of these crowds are so laid back. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know what they say about wrestling in Fukuoka. The crowds just don't care. They don't say that at all, but we yeah. just have been able to determine that through years. Well, it's, of this, watching it's, it. the, it's the strange conundrum of Hakata Star Lanes, some of the best crowds ever. When I specifically remember talking to a wrestler who, the first time he wrestled in Hakata Star Lanes, he was like, This is the craziest thing I've ever experienced. Like, no building I've ever been in feels like this. Whereas Final Gate, which takes place in Fukuoka, is notoriously just the the most dead crowd there is it was clap crowds before clap crowds was a thing and i that's a fascinating conundrum that this this place has and and it's not just dragon gate that has this like new japan has the same issue in fukuoka i I believe machine gunka has complained publicly about it yeah yeah it's something i mean he's bright lights you know to get himself double booked you know Whoa, what whoa. what what a worker to not only <laughs> to not only go back, but to go back and immediately work a Saudi show. And I I am for the most part all for hey man get paid do your thing. I understand the heat of the moment people say things, but for him specifically to go back and to take blood money within the first month of being back is insane even for wrestling standards to me it's it's something that became very clear with me how much of a work this all was and i was like oh okay like of course and yeah like if he wasn't the person who immediately went on his podcast and said i'm I'm not going back unless i need a second pool and and try to make that as like a definitive statement he has gone back a lot to work that I, like this is like his fourth this is like his second show since the the plane ride for, from hell saudi edition you know like like he went back like a couple like this is repeat behavior for him so i don't know what a worker though i hope he gets his pool because he's not a good wrestler <laughs> anymore and that's a bummer because i look there's some 2012 2013 machine gunka matches that i am i am all about and that is that is long gone and i'm glad that i no longer have to get myself excited for a, a three and a quarter star Carl Anderson match. Cause it just doesn't deliver to the way that I thought it would. Who thought that uh, doc gallows would be the more interesting person in that group, like eight years in look uh, as somebody that once owned a cliff Compton t-shirt, I have known for a very long time that doc gallows is an interesting human. And, and anybody that has heard the cliff Compton doc gallows, Nigeria story, which I haven't listened to and, probably seven or eight years now, I'm sure there's probably deeply problematic parts yeah. of it that I just do not remember. Now that yeah. I think about it, it probably sucks. <laughs> m- m- maybe uh, revisit before, m- m- maybe come back. and I, I go and rewatch it, Case, and- or re-listen to it, rather. And is it is it bad? I, I, I'm just guessing, because that was like 2010, and uh, the 
Uh, Doc Gallows treads the line pretty closely in 2022. So in 2010, I I I, I shudder. All right, I gotta I gotta go back and listen to episode 59 of the Art of Wrestling podcast with Cliff Compton and Cole Cabana, where Cliff Compton walks Cole Cabana through that Nigeria story. That was how the world was introduced to the Great Power Uti. When I met CM Punk in 2013 and had him sign two Ring of Honor DVDs of mine, CM Punk compilations, not just like random Ring of Honor shows. I was wearing a Cliff Compton T-shirt. That when I met CM Punk, he said, hey, man, I like your shirt. And I said, oh, oh my God, thank you so much. So I have a dark past. That is uh, probably the worst thing of me on the Internet is a photo of me in a Cliff Compton T-shirt. I would love that erased from history, but I don't think it's going to happen. So, yeah, I need to go back and re-listen to that because maybe I, I have fond memories of a story that is unfortunately very fucked up. I mean... Uh, I watched one episode of like the Vice Tales of the Territories thing, and that's basically what that show is. So yeah, is that good? Uh, no, no, okay, not, not, not at all. It, it is table for three for an audience that probably would be better off just get watching table for three on Peacock okay. and, all right. that, and not hunting out Vice TV. Yeah, because yeah. I got I, I was I was not in the dark side of the ring the first season. And then I got into it. Like, I, I actually thought they ended up doing a really good job with some of those episodes. And it doesn't seem like that's a thing now, or maybe there's just a long delay between the next season. But the Tales of the Territories thing did not strike me as interesting. And I, if that's your review of it, then I know all I need to know. Yeah, yeah. I really like Darkseid. I thought that uh, given the tight ropes you have to walk when doing that kind of content. I thought that they did it as well as one could. And then they immediately jumped off the tight rope into the uh, safety net at WWE. And we see it happening pretty much. Look, we talked about on this podcast a while ago, people love WWE and I will never understand it. I don't get it. I have no allegiance, nor loyalty, nor nostalgia towards them, but we've seen it with the triple H thing people and like it's like you always say they just want the company to be five percent better and it got five percent better and people lost their minds over it and i just will never understand that you know like the weird thing now is uh that like i was saying that like that was my fear about AEW. really is that people just want wwe just five to ten percent better and more competent and you know I, I not this is not an AEW show. I don't do those anymore. But uh, <laughs> I th- there's an argument to be made that that's what it ended up being. And then Triple H comes in and it's like, wow, we already have one version of an adaptation of this. Why would we want a second done by someone who's already been seen as a failure? You know, not to mention the fact that uh, it seems like he's still massively book uh, burnt out booking wise. It sounds like like they like he didn't have enough time back on the shelf to refresh the playbook burnout and vindictive coming back really angry that he already got his ass kicked once. And I, you know, I've been of the belief really since dynamite debuted that I don't think they're different enough from WWE. I, I want that show to feel way different than just a good episode of SmackDown. And, you know, I think there have been times where they've come close, but it's never really hit the vision of what I was hoping it would be. Uh, did you see there were some talks of NXT Japan starting up again this week? And then I read a Reddit thread. This is I love making fun of Reddit. This isn't even a knock on Reddit, but just the the comment that I read of like, oh, Triple H should really talk to Dragon Gate. You know, I think they'd be a, a very nice partnership for NXT. <laughs> I, it, it, the one sad thing about Triple H really being back is I feel like that there would be a really funny oral history of 
the attempt and failure of NXT Japan 2019. Oh you know? God, I would have loved it. I it led by Jiro and Daisuke Sakamoto and yeah. a bunch of other guys who Nico have never drawn before. Yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. Just like a weird way to how that all kind of ended up. You and know, Ju- like, Junakiyama is like the big get, and you get Michael Cole voiceovers of Junakiyama and talking about his history and the Champions Carnival or whatever. Oh my God, it would have been great. It would have been he, so good. Yeah, and, and that's not to mention the logistics of it all. Just never making any a lick of sense whatsoever. Never making a lick of sense. You know, the thing that we have to worry about is that if Triple H really does want to get NXT Japan off the ground, Stephanie McMahon obviously has more power than ever before, and she's going to use that power and throw herself directly at Ultimo Dragon. And that, I mean, that could be gravely concerning. Of course, Stephanie McMahon notoriously very attracted to Ultimo Hottie. I, I mean, did you see what Ultimo was up to this weekend, Case? Uh, I, I know. I, I'm assuming he was making a shit ton of merch money and smoking cigars, but I don't know any specifics. Well, I'm assuming he's getting paid a lot here. Uh, I'm going to drop this in our Slack DMs case, just this photo. Okay. And I want you to describe the look and just the general countenance of Ultimo. Okay? You ready? Yes, please. I, I'm more than ready. <laughs> That's a... Okay, so he's in a mocap suit. <laughs> but it's not like a real mocap suit. No, like it just looks like a really tight Adidas tracksuit. <laughs> it, it, it looks like a wetsuit. So we have Ultimo in a, a wrestling ring. I think this is Pro Wrestling Revolution's training school. So we're talking West Coast Pro, like that group of people, uh, doing mocap for Virtual Basement. And the 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 funny thing about it is just not the fact that he is wearing a uh, wetsuit case. What else does he have on? He's got his mask and then his shoulder gimmick too. That's a really funny photo. Yeah, 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 yeah. He has his he has the classic WCW Nitro light blue with the red and gold mask and shoulder pauldrons on, and then a headband over the mask. It's tremendous. I just retweeted this photo on the Open the Voice Gate account. So when you're listening to this and you don't know what we're talking about, at Open Voice Gate on Twitter. <laughs> well, well, podcasting is a visual medium, and this is something that we had to refer to immediately. immediately. I, I don't know why that's as funny as it is, but that's really funny. <laughs> it, it, it's amazing. So, uh, Hakata. Uh, I, so, night one, we opened... Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Yeah. We, this podcast might be an hour. It, it, might, it might be an hour, Max. What I want you to do is I want you to run through the results, and then we'll talk about the stuff we have thoughts on. Absolutely. That's what I was about to suggest. So... On the afternoon session, we opened up, and this is on YouTube, into perpetuity with Natural Vibes versus Ebrats, KZ, and Strong Machine J versus Kai and Hio. Strong Machine J won with the uh, su- machine suplex on Hio in 825. Match two, 10 man tag. It was the entire complement of M3K. Uh, Masaki Mochizuki, Susumu Mochizuki, Mochizuki Jr., Yazushi, Kanda, and Ishinahashi going up against Don Fuji, Ginky Horiguchi. Problem Dragon, Mondai Ryu, Kaito Nagano, and Hoho Loon. It was the Yokosuka cutter from Susumu on Nagano. Singles match was match three. The singles match of the afternoon was Madoka Kakuda going to a time limit draw with Big Boss Shimizu. Match four, Eita and Yosuke San Maria. It's the spirit of love. It's the spirit of February 2022. And they lost to BB Hulk and Diamante when Diamante. Hit uh it hit Maria with a heart attack. They're calling it the super. All right, let, let's see how I can pronounce this rightly. It should be super ante brockle. 
what is the uh, name for the heart attack? Semi-main, Natural Vise versus Gold Class UT, Jason Lee, Jackie, Funky, Kamei versus Kota Menor, Bing K, and Manorita. It was a spear on JFK for the semi-main. And the main event was Dragon Kid and Suji Kondo versus D-Courage of Yuki Yoshioka and Dragon Daya. The match was result was a referee stoppage when at about 15 minutes into the match, uh, Dragon Daya went up to the top rope trying to do a Firebird splash. He kind of overshot it, and he landed in a way that his shoulders went down hard on the mat. Uh, they Immediately, he did not get back to his feet. He they, they Yagi waited like 20 seconds, then called the match for Dragon Kid. And then that was it for the main show, before, for the afternoon session, ending on a very weird note. Yeah, it was a real bummer because I I think with a clean finish would have gone four stars on that main event. And I I've said all along, I, I for as excited as I am about this twin gate match that we we seem to have confirmed now that, that got set up on the evening show, I think Dragon Kid and Kondo versus Daya and Kakuta would have been a really excellent match. And it's not that the D Courage versus Natural Vibes uh, match that got set up won't be good. But the chemistry that D-Courage have with Dragon Kid and Kondo, I just think would have been really special. And this match, prior to Dragon Daya getting injured, was uh, far and away the best thing of the weekend. Yeah, it was three and three quarters even with that uh, finish. So that would have been a four-star match for me, easily. And it would have been my match of the weekend. Uh, yeah, it just was something that, like, they uh, Kondo and Daya have, like, the crazy chemistry that condo has with certain small guys like it's not everyone that he's that great with but there's certain guys you get in the mold and it would make sense with dragon die and dragon kid that die would and that was really kind of fun with that the the rest of the show uh the time limit draw was i mean they did the first five minutes they gave away that it was time limit draw when they when neither of them took a bump and they did back and forth running shoulder blocks for about two minutes so that 20-minute time limit draw, that was Shimizu versus Kakuta, and that was an instance of a really boring 15-minute match and then a really, really good last five minutes yeah. that that sold me on the idea of this Twin Gate match, which is set up to be Shimizu and Jason Lee versus Daya and Kakuta, assuming that Daya is healthy, which obviously everybody here knows my thoughts on Jason Lee. I, I think Big Boss Shimizu is a phenomenal worker in big matches, uh, especially when he wants to be, and I think he'll crush it in this environment. And I'm super into this D-Courage team. So uh, based on the last five minutes of this match, I'm into it. You know, seeing Shimizu get leveled with these Hand of God lariats and seeing them tease the shot put slam, but Kakuta slip out, and then everything right up until that really scary pile driver that I think Joe Gagne gift uh, of Kakuta basically falling forward and falling to a knee as he was giving Shimizu a, a, a traditional pile driver as the bell rang. That was all really, really good stuff. This is like one of those, if this was 2008 and we were in the old Infinity format, we would only get the last five minutes of this and we would go like, oh my God, I wonder what the first 15 were like. This is incredible. Unfortunately for us, we did get the first 15 and it wasn't that good. Yeah, like I feel like we need to time travel and be like, look, you don't really want the other 15 minutes of this match. You think you do. You really do. But you're better off watching that hot stretch. The, yeah, no, was, the, the, it, we need this like intersplice with Cyber Kong smashing a pineapple and then like right. a Shima promo. And you go, oh my God, Shimizu versus Kakuta. This was awesome. But in its current state, unfortunately, it was not. 
Yeah, yeah, though it's funny trying to see how long they were going to go before taking a bump. I, I, I do appreciate that kind of stuff. When a match is very clearly going to be filling time and they do that, I appreciate it. Well, Shimizu's yeah. idol is Kevin Nash, and, and so that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, but really, other than that on this show, I mean, it was neat to see M3K as a five-person and, and everyone go after Don Fuji, but I mean, you can see that basically every other show that don if don fuji's in a match against the kids that that happens it's just something that will always make me uh smile when it happens the rest of it was just kind of there you know what i really liked in that 10 man was and i forget who it was uh it was susumu genki horiguchi went for the backslide from heaven and kaito nagano flew over the top and did like a jackknife cradle pin on Susumu while Horiguchi had on the backside yeah. from heaven and the crowd audibly popped for that. That got like a that got a big response, I thought. Yeah, like that was like a a really like cool thing and then they, they there was a lot of playing with the jackknife on these two shows. Did you notice that? Like they, they they did that a couple times. That's a good point. I hadn't really thought about that, but you're you're absolutely right. Uh, should we get in the evening now? I mean, I don't really have too much else to say about this uh, afternoon session. Uh, if you now, Ben K is walking out with a banana, so that uh, we're coming closer and closer to the chunk to the crunch. It's going to happen. Let, let me ask you a, a purely hypothetical question. There's a zero percent right. chance it happens, but I just watching the main event and watching Kondo work. Let's just say we agree with how they get to it that the booking doesn't annoy us. Would the idea of running Yoshioka versus Kondo for the Dreamgate belt in this calendar year annoy you? No, because they have to do something at Gate of Origin. And Gate of Origin oh. is a week before Final Gate with no TV between it. Yeah, you gotta... Th I mean, that's gotta be... I, I, I don't think they're going to do a Dreamgate match for that show, though, because it's a week before no. Final Gate. I just I only ask just because I, I push, you know, youth, youth, youth here, but I was watching Kondo wrestle, and I really enjoyed his Dreamgate match with Kai up until that that god-awful finish, and I was just watching him here going like, I, they could run this back. They could do Yoshioka and Kondo. <laughs> I think I'd be really into it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's something with Kondo that, like, it's very clear, and it, and I find it fascinating that at least I feel like that this is an instance of a separation, I think, between like international fans and uh, how the company sees them in a lot of ways. Because I feel like that, I wonder, like, I, I never see any crowd signs for him. I never like see anything like that. So I wonder like if, it, if it's something that even the fan base can buy at this point with him. With the way that he only shows up for certain things and isn't really featured. Like, they made it happen once this year with him. I don't know if he can do it again. I don't get the impression that he's super over, but you you yeah. do have me thinking about Gate of Origin now, which is, again, normally in this... Uh, it's always awkwardly sandwiched either before or after Gate of Destiny. This year, it's a week before Final Gate, and it reminded me of the disaster that was Memorial Gate this year, off the top of your head, could you tell me the Memorial Gate 2022 main event? Oh, it was... Uh, I know that it was a Twin Gate title match, and it was Jason Lee and Las Drea challenging him. I'm trying to remember who was the Twin Gates at that time. Well, that, that was too early for Shun Monte. Uh, oh, it was D-Courage versus them. Yeah, yes, that was the main event. That, that is correct. It was Estrella and Jason challenging for the Twin Gate belts in a, in a show... 
that did a grand total of 285 fans, which is very bad for that building. That was that was the definition of a throwaway show because the second match from the top was Hyo versus Ata, which <laughs> it, it was weird because it kind of felt like a big deal. And then it just was it didn't. It, those are two guys that generate heat and that match did not have heat. And then there was that five way of Fujiwara, Ishinihashi, Riki Hashi, Ryu Fuda and Takumi Hayakawa. Uh, that was in, uh, that ended up being pretty good. Also, to show you how far some people have come, second match on this show, Hoho Luna Takashi Yoshida defeating Sachi Hoko Boy and Strong Machine J. There is no scenario in this current time and place where Strong Machine J loses that match now. Hey, roll up and or shut up. That that, that was a team that that, that you know I, I I put my ear down. There was some there was some hype behind uh, roll up and shut up. Oh, know, who, could, who could forget? Who could forget who could, that hype? Who could forget that? Uh, across Fukuoka evening show. I'm just going to run through the results again, case please. All right, we opened with the young men of M3K, Ishinahashi and Mochizuki Jr. defeating Don Fuji and Kaito Nagano. It was Ishinahashi with the Kamada Choke Slam. Natural Vibes versus Unaffiliated, UT, Jason Lee, Jackie Funkime versus Problem Dragon, Yosuke Samurai, and Hoho Loon. It was the maximum driver on Problem Dragon. Ginky Horiguchi and Shuji Kondo teamed up. They went up against Binkei and Minorita. Uh, Ginky Horiguchi submitted to the Soda Gerami, and it was uh, it odd pairing. Uh, Ginky Horiguchi and Shuji Kondo, 2022 is weird. Singles match, Eita was defeated by Kota Minanora by a schoolboy with a Minarita distraction in 11 minutes and 44 seconds. Semi-main event was Natural Vibes versus D-Courage and GM, as it was KZ. Big Boss Shimizu and Strong Machine J versus Yuki Oshioka, Madoka Kakuda, and GM Ryo Saito. Pinch hitting for Dragon Daya. Shimizu pinned the general manager of the Big Boss Press to win that one. In the main event, it was kind of a Shen M2K, re- M2K reunion we had. Misaki Mochizuki, Susumu Mochizuki, Yuzushi Kanda teaming with Dragon Kid versus Kai, BB Hulk, Hio, and Diamante. Zebrats Kai won with the authorized Ganoski clutch on Susumu Mochizuki. And yeah, this was the, the this was dry. This show was a show that before we started recording, I told Case my highlight of the show was Rio Saito doing Dragon Dye's entrance. And I stand by that. Yeah, this was tough. This was definitely the lower percentile of Dragon Gate shows this year, which is interesting. I mean, I liked the opener. I thought Ishin and Junior versus Fuji and Nagano was good. I, and Nagano had a had a very good weekend, I thought. I, where are you at with him just in terms of overall enjoyment? Here is a note I have on that very match. Really happy with Nagano right now. He's in the, uh, the this nice space where he is completely proved himself on like the initial step and i'm enjoying him right now before we before i'm ready to see him take the next step i i like nagano you know he he's he's managed to kind of answer some of the bigger questions i had about him but you know i think everything so far if his body holds up and if he's able to perform the way he wants to i i there's a lane for him and that's something i wasn't necessarily certain when he debuted you know something that i would really like to know and i i I don't I don't know if there's ever going to be a way to get to the bottom of it. It might be something I, I ask Jay next time he's on the podcast, but Drangate has introduced three relatively undersized wrestlers 
in the last three years. Four if you count Estrella, but I'm going to leave him out because I don't... This might sound harsh, but I don't look at Estrella on the level of worker that these other three guys are. But you have Nagano, you have Minorita, and you have Jackie Funky Kamei. And I think what's so interesting is that after all of these guys debuted, we had conversations about their size. And, you know, oh, well, you know, there, there's going to be a ceiling because these guys just, you know, they... They're, they're only so big, and, and you know they're going to be in this babyface role, but are they going to be able to garner sympathy? And one, at least through the early stages of Nagano's career, he's been able to prove that. Kamei and, and Minorita have obviously gone on to do pretty great things in their young careers. There are three undersized guys that wrestle in three distinctive ways, and I would love to know if that is an intentional thing to make sure that they're, you know, we're never going to confuse Minorita for Kamei. We're never going to confuse Kamei for Nagano. Kamei has this really grounded, exciting, fast-paced technical style. Minorita has become this incredible character wrestler. And Nagano has become this innovative high flyer, which I, I, I certainly didn't see coming. You know, obviously I didn't see it happening in the future exhibition matches. And even from his debut with Kai, where he was throwing a million drop kicks, I didn't think he was going to be busting out these corkscrew head scissors the way that he's doing it. But I, I would just love to know if there was a conscious effort within the company to go, these three guys are small, these three guys need to be different, or if that is just happenstance. Because I think if these three guys were in an American wrestling company, uh, they would they would blend in. There wouldn't be that difference in style that makes these three stick out the way that they do. And I think that some of it might be, and the company has done this, since day one a willingness that it doesn't necessarily mean your seniority on a roster if you're someone that you think you can play a certain role and completely um i i I guess for lack of a better word like you said differentiate themselves but like like minorita found like found something and immediately jumped onto it It took a while for jackie but when jackie kind of figured out there and a lot of that with jackie i would say is he he's really picked up on the crowd connection thing and I think that that enables it. But it, it is something that if this was on a U.S. roster or if these were, I mean, honestly, uh, Kabune and Kamei both would still be in black tights right now. Like, the, the, like that's something also. It's like, it, it's not just in the U.S. I would say that, like, major Japanese promotions also wouldn't necessarily get behind them immediately and let them kind of find themselves in the way that Dragon Gate has. The only other company that I that I feel confident saying that I feel like that they would kind of figure them out with Ben DDT because DDT does not have that block that a lot of the more traditional companies do. No, and that's something that, you know, over the next few years, I'm going to be really curious to see what New Japan does because they had that State of the Union address basically two months ago where you and I were kind of looking over at each other going, well, it seems like they want to be Dragon Gate. It seems like they want to do Dragon Gate things, especially with the the way they want to expedite this young boy process. And you're, that's that's such a great point that I think is particularly interesting on this week with SB Kento doing what he's doing in America, where he's on excursion, he's 22. You have Nagano, who's who's developing this personality. You have Fujiwara, who's about to come back from Mexico and have this huge match against Ata. All of these guys would still be in a personality-less black tights young boy development stage if they were in New Japan or, God forbid, Noah. I mean, they would just probably they probably quit by now if they were in Noah. And that's not to say that that one thing is better than the other. Although I think you would say that it's just 
it's the the, the Dragon Gate way has, is working, and it's it's really nice to see it pay off. Yeah, and I'll get more into SP Kento when we talk about the uh, when we talk about the excursions. But like that that is a thing that like when Obari announced that, like a lot of that, I look that as like modernization and Dragon Gate just as per usual is ahead of the curve in that in that regard. I mean, look at what's been the successful promoting things, you know. So, so well, what has worked in Japan over the last 15 years? And now who's P- pushing, rushing? Pushing young, attractive wrestlers and developing talent as quickly as possible. Exactly. Exactly. Speaking but, of young wrestlers, I'm going to cut you off here. This weekend was one year of Takumi Hayakawa, a.k.a. Minorita, in the company. He debuted last year, last second on, on a set of Fukuoka shows due to an injury to Kaisuke Akuda. Amazing what happens in a year. And now he's been, you know, in this great character for, uh, you know, <clears throat> close to seven months now, a year into Hayakawa's career, big picture thoughts. What do you have? I, I, he's really, uh, proven me wrong in a lot of ways, you know, like it's something that, and he, like, I was just not open-minded about him, you know, but he's found this path and and it's something that, like, I really, like, I know, like, I brought it up yesterday, uh, last week, but it's not just character work with uh, Hayakawa slash Minorita. Like, he's really, like, it's something that, you know, he is undersized, but he wrestles in a way that's uniquely his own, like we were just talking about. But it's also something that, like, he meshes in certain things and plays with, like, crowd emotions like this. Like, do you know, like, we're approximately 11 days out. Uh, case. Do you know how ins- actually we're twelve days out? You know how insane Edion Arena Sock is going to be when he starts running around. Yeah, that that's a great point that I guess we'll really dive into next week. And programming note: expect open the voice, get in your feeds a day later than usual next week. We both have busy Tuesdays going on, but for Fujiwara, for Minorita, for Ishinihashi, for Mochizuki Junior. These are this is going to be their first vocal audience in Japan. And SB Kento and Kamei had two months of that as young boys. You know, SB Kento, the name has not wrestled in front of a vocal audience in Japan. I was already excited for that show. And then you brought up that Minorita point, and now I'm even more excited. That that November 6th will hopefully be a really special evening. Yeah, it, it it's something that I just like look at him now and it's something where do I think he's going to be someone you base the company around in five years? No, he's not entering that discussion, but he doesn't need to enter that discussion. They never based the company around Ginky Horiguchi. Dragon Kid never was the guy, but he was kind of like a mascot like character. And that's like a valuable that that's a valuable thing that to have in this promotion as it changes generations, not just like era changes, but going from, the, the people that were there founding the promotion, the people that were born after the promotion was founded. And the fact that uh, Hayakawa has been able to pull this off so far in one year, I, I think he's, he's going to, f- he's found himself in a position to really prosper and try and gain his future where it could have, where it was easy to dismiss him before. I, this is the extreme example of this, but I'll, I'll, I'll use it because I think it's going to shine a light on just how talented Min- Minorita is, where it, you know, he came in with an MMA background. He was undersized, and and part of his entry into the company was talking about how, yes, he's small, but he has this very strong pedigree uh, combat sports background. 
And he could have just leaned on that and tried to be the toughest guy in a room full of tough guys. But we saw that as what happened to Kaisuke Akuda. You know, Minorita adapted. And the, the beautiful thing with this character is regardless of the ebbs and flows of gold class, five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, they're going to be able to play off this Minora Minorita nostalgia and it's going to hit. Akuda, as we've talked about numerous times now, was never able to get out of the Akuda zone, and he's no longer in the company, partially as a result. The other reason is he has a fetish for getting his ass kicked in MMA fights. But ultimately, Minorita did not have to display the personality that he had. He would have sunk. He would have sank in a sink or swim uh, uh, scenario, but he played into what Drangate does best, and he's going to be better off for it. And it's something that I like that you brought up, like Minor and how they're going to play off of that. When Minorita was introduced in March, like it was something that was like, oh, this is funny. You don't want to get pigeonholed in this kind of role. He has made the role him his own to like such a degree that it's like, oh, other than like being named after Minor and still kind of looking like him, but not really, but other having mentor gear, like he's going to be able to transition to like the post mascot stage pretty easily. I Oh, completely. And that that was a big fear of mine was what does the next phase of his career look like? And I, I think at some point, you know, they're going to experiment with him having like a, a Kotoka-like goofy over-the-top heel run. And that seems like something that he'll be able to succeed in. I think he'll be a dynamic baby face. He, that, that is a, another very good point that he's played this gimmick so well, but there's also chances for him to break out. And that is something that in March and April and May, even when I really liked Gold Class 1.0, I feared that, is he going to have to be next to Minora for his entire career? And and luckily, that is not the case. Yeah, so he's coming up on the anniversary. And it, it's going to be fun now, because now we could really like take the step back. Like We are able to do it with Ishan and what he did for his anniversary. And then we're coming up Minorita. And then I guess uh, coming back, is it for Fujiwara in a way? Uh, what do we do with Rio Fuda other than need to let him cook for a while? Fuda, we put a pen on. Yeah, you know, we'll we'll talk about him at the end of November. What he's done in the year, what he can do better in the next year. I, 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 food. The problem is that I am going to be so annoying if Fujiwara versus Ata is a legitimately great match. I mean, I am, I am just going to become so over the top with my love for Fujiwara in a way that again, he is just. For all of the wrestlers in the world, now that CM Punk is apparently inactive again, Takuma Fujiwara, to me, to my personal interest, is the most interesting wrestler in the world. Punk was number one as long as he was going to wrestle. I'm always fascinated by what he does. Fujiwara is now the guy. And if that Fujiwara versus Ata match is legitimately great, which I think it, it, it should be, oh my God, I am not even going to know how to act on that podcast. That is, it's going to be one year of him with, with an excursion, with him hitting Cork and then going back to Mexico, getting the hell out of Dodge before that god-awful Gate Noah show that's going to occur. I am going to be so annoying if Fujiwara comes back and is better than ever. Aren't you pretty happy that we're going to be doing a near-instant reaction so you're not going to have to bottle it up? You're going to be able to get it out of your system? Yes, yeah. We, we don't know exactly when, but we're going to do audio on november 6th the same day as gate of destiny so that'll that'll be in your feed and then that following week is a cork and show 
and then that Noah Drangate show, and we'll figure some stuff out a- as we go along. But you're going to get same day audio for Gate of Destiny, if and if not same day, then very early Monday morning. So we'll we'll figure that out. But uh, you and I, I think, are both super super excited for that show. It, uh, vocal fans is great, but I just I think the card looks great as well. Yeah, I I'm someone that I think I'm on like the far edge of clock crowds not bothering. So like I'm not the person to really like judge like your tolerance for clap crowds and stuff like this because I, I I guess really because since I watch just so much more Dragon Gate than anything else, I'm used to the seconds making noise, I guess. Well, that's, that's what I was going to ask is what Japanese wrestling are you watching right now that isn't Dragon Gate? I, I, I've been catching up on Gleet. Gleet okay. is, I, I think there's nothing interesting things going on there. And, you know, I, I, I have to keep tabs on OG Shiba. You know, I'm a sick person. <laughs> of course. Of, no, of course you do. Newest members of 60, 60 Seconds, OG Shiva. Yeah. <laughs> I, I with, have to. Not that I want to. I have to. It, it, this is something that I, I mean, this is kind of the week where I can kind of do this. I, I wonder about my brain sometimes, guys. Oh, I, I don't worry. I do, too. I, I, a lot of people do like don't be like, 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 let's not like just say like this is a cry for help. Like, it's pretty. Yeah, but but I wonder about my brain when it's just like, oh, so what's OG up to? That is a legitimate thought that crossed my that crossed my head before we case before you got on this call. I was looking at his Twitter account and I saw Katoka talked about the gym and I immediately went like, did he open up another gym? That's how useful things in my life like skills. I, how, I could have how, learned how, many how to ride a bicycle. Katoka, I can't. Hey, I can't ride a bike. Can you swim? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Mama okay, Spears. Mama Spears wanted the kids out of her house. It's just why would I if someone like goes and travels to Dallas Fort Worth, they would realize very quickly why I never bothered to learn how to ride a bike as a kid. But yeah, no, swimming Mama Spears had to find ways to get us out of the house. Yeah, my parents my parents did not they didn't care. We I had a, they were just like, do whatever you want. Uh which is why I consumed as much wrestling as I did. But how many how many gyms is Kotoka up to? So Katoka, who uh, I always kind of after he left, I wanted to keep an eye on him because I was kind of wondering because he he had like such a unique story in the company to begin with. Like he was a part timer for a long time because he was an on air TV reporter and then went all in for wrestling and left and things were kind of dark for him for like a little bit. Like he was like a bartender for like six months and like, like he was talking about like, oh, I don't know. But he's up to so Katoka, like after like that opened a gym chain it's called kicky spelled exactly as it spells fanatical and he's up to nine gyms right now nine gyms and he started launching them in 2019 so this isn't like a slow roll like this is happening very fast for him yeah i i'm delighted at his success i mean he, you know it, it seemed like kotoka had lived a very hard few years his last few years in dragon gate he was hurt he didn't really seem happy. He didn't. He, I mean, on top of being physically unwell, uh, it seemed like. Did you remember rumblings of him being mentally unwell for a while as well? I don't want to say like he, psychotic, but just very unhappy. Yeah, like the, the that was one of the rumors. It was like, oh yeah, no, Katoka said depressed. But like it was like, oh yeah, because I mean, he was someone that I mean, his wrestling career was unique to anyone else in Dragon Gate for a long time. So like he didn't, so like he wasn't like onboarded the way that standard rookie was. So like he got to a point where he was having so many injuries, and I think that it kind of built up. And you know, at his age, I, he was a little bit older. He just kind of felt like he had, it was time to move on, and he got to have a match with his brother. 
So now I don't even know if I know that full story. When you say he wasn't onboarded like a normal rookie was, what do you mean by that? Because of like so, Katoka for a period of time, and I want to say it was basically right up until the when he was Mr. High Tension Chiba. Like he was a like he worked for an affiliate of TV Asahi, like doing like local like man on the street reporting and would do that and also wrestle. And like that, that, that was like really well acknowledged. Like that's not like me saying something that will get me in trouble later. No, that's, I, I, no, that's a totally fair. I asked you a question. Yeah, you answered no, the question. Yeah. So, so like, he just wouldn't like go through like, like he would do like rookie stuff there, but it wasn't like, and he would be like on prime zones and on next and stuff like that. But it really was until like, when him and Shima went to go wrestle in Russia, <laughs> of all places. Now, that is a show I want to see. That's, I, you know, it's funny that, when, and that happened, what, 2012? Yeah, like, like this was before they went closed doors. Yeah, because the the idea of Shima, and I'm not even talking about global events as in a war in Russia, but the idea of Shima going to Russia in 2012 holds a much different weight than Shima going to Russia in 2022. And again, <laughs> that's a reflection on Shima, not Russia. Yeah, no, like the, the, the only other wrestler I knew who who went to Russia, like was like, oh, I'm going to go do a trip and wrestle in Russia was Ultraman is black. It, it's him, Shima and Katoka. Does that mean that Shima's words big 80s? You know, that would answer a lot of questions. That'd be fair. What a well, plot twist. <laughs> but I would have a whole lot more. Like, I don't think Shima knows what A-treat soda is. <laughs> no, I think that's a safe bet. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have anything else to talk about on these Fukuoka shows? Or should we talk about DG and USA? I want to ask you a question. Well, actually, no, I, I had two things I want to bring up. One, last year, Kobe World, Kota Minora versus Eita. Big hype singles match. Minora's red hot. It's a great match, and Minora goes over. October 2022, this match, Coach Minora versus Eita, felt ice fucking cold. And was that just crowd, me? No, no. That was a weird match. That was it, that was a just a bad 12 minutes of wrestling. It was really strange. Two guys that I really like, you know, I still have a ton of menorah stock. Ata is Ata, which is, means a number of things, but oh my God, that was not a good match. Yeah. And this is the kind of thing, like if you look at Ata's weekend, when he teamed with Maria in a nothing match, Maria just got murdered. And then this singles match that I, you know, like I, I, I still think big shows in Tokyo with him. But because like this kind of stuff here, and I'm just like, oh, I guess Ada already promised to the state already. So, you know, it just, he just felt like he was, it was awkward, Ada, on this show, uh, on these, this show shows. Like, it just like was like, this does not feel right. Yeah, for sure. Now, that, that was, that was very strange. That was not a good match between two guys that had a match last year that I really, really liked, but they were both at drastically different stages of their career at that point. Second note, and then we can move on to the U.S. stuff and then wrap this bad boy up. The Big Boss Shimizu, KZ, Strong Machine J versus Madoka Kakuta, Yuki Yoshioka, and Ryo Saito match. It was Ryo Saito in a big spot, which I'm okay with. because He was obviously filling in for Daya, wasn't supposed to be on these shows. But it, it got me thinking, 
what was the last good Rio Saito match? And specifically, the last time you came away from a match thinking, wow, Rio Saito looked good, not some big multi-man that he just happened to be in. Oh, man, we're going to have to go back. All right. Uh, Rio Saito's last big singles match that I thought he was great in. I, I, I'm having well, to cage. Just, just, it, it, it can be a multi-man match, but it had to be partially because of Saito. Because like, there's that Jimmy's yeah. versus Verzork disbands match, which is a great match, but I don't think it's great because of Saito. Yeah. Uh, I liked a lot of the Team Boku stuff. Like, I had a high tolerance for Team Boku because it was just idiots being idiots. And I think that's... <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I'm always out there for guys being guys, you know? Uh, I think I found, like, the last great match he was in, by the way. Okay. It was actually in this building. Hmm. It was open the Twin Gate number one contendership tournament match. Misaki Mochizuki and Takashi Yoshida defeat Team Boku of Bokudomo Dragon and Rayo Saito. Wow, I do not remember that. Yeah, let me grab my... I, I'll have to like look at this, but, but here's the thing about that match. That match was in January of 2021. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. God, we really... We were just knee-deep in the pandemic watching Team Boku matches, weren't we? And I was thriving. What? What? An I'm int- smiling thinking about Team Boku right now, Case. <laughs> what an interesting time in our lives. I can't go see my friends. I'm afraid that if I leave my house, I'm going to die by this disease. And I'm going, well, so I'm going to punch Managa. Time to watch Bukaltimo Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> time to watch Double Dragons. Oh, my God. Okay. So this tournament was it was Dragon Kid and Yamato versus Don Fuji and UT. Moshi and Yoshida versus uh, uh, Bigger Shimizu, Bokotomo Dragon, and Ryo Saito. Kagatori and Yosuke versus Benkei and Shuji Kondo. And Diamante and Eita versus Jason Lee and Estrella. And I remember that match. That match was great. I went notebook on Diamante and Eita versus Jason and Estrella, which makes sense because I just read those names out loud. And everybody that's listening to this podcast knows that that is extremely my shit. Um, I don't remember the the Saito match, though. I don't want to go back and rewatch that, but now I'm curious. No, you don't need to. You don't need to. Uh, uh, if we're not going to step that, I have the next one. And uh, I do remember this match being an absolute banger. Yeah, what is it? Are you ready to go back to pre-pandemic times? Yes. I. Oh, God, I hope we're talking about the same match. I'm going to be so excited if you clock this one as well. This <clears throat> is an Edeon Arena Osaka number two. Open the Twin Gate Tournament quarterfinal. Big uh, R.E.D. versus uh, Maraha Zappa. The R.E.D. was B.B. Hulk and Kazuma Sakamoto. This match ruled. I remember this one very distinctly. Ooh, I do not. I do not remember that. That's not where I thought you were going to go. Okay. What? Okay. What were you thinking? Now? I was thinking uh, Cork and Hall, summer of 2018. So we're okay. going back four years at this point. Don Fuji, Rio Saito, and Willie Mack against okay. against Genki. KZ and Punch Tamanaga, that match was disgustingly good given some of the names involved. Willie Mack come back. Please. Oh, I would love that. Willie Mack was great. His friendship with Don Fuji, like, we need to bring back, uh, we'll, we'll do Autumn Adventure Tag League. Actually, we're getting a little late about that. We'll kick off the, the new year with this. Don Fuji and Willie Mack reunite in a Twin Gate dinnership tournament. 
I know I've told you this before. I don't think I've ever told this on the podcast, but enough time has passed. A few years ago, Willie Mack worked at AAW show, and I, I went down and talked to him when he was selling his merch. And I was just like, hey, hey, Willie, I just want to say I really liked what you did in Dragon Gate. I just wanted to know if you had any plans on coming back anytime soon. And he just looks at me and goes, oh, you watch that shit? <laughs> I'm like, like, yeah, I watch every show. I'm a big fan. He's like, oh, yeah, I, I don't. I don't know if I'm going back or not. Some things have to sort of play out first. And I went, all right, man, good talking to you. Like I said, watched it, really liked it, man. Good to see you. Have a good match. (laughs) (laughs) Just, it was, it was total, uh, he was bewildered that anybody had seen that stuff. Yeah, I remember like he had like a double title match. Like he brought Matt, he brought belts for the excursion and then Shun Skywalker had like a, like a championship wrestling from Hollywood. It was Hollywood championship heritage. wrestling from Hollywood and the House of Hardcore Twitch TV title, I believe. <laughs> I That's your next Spears of- Ovation project is finding out who's the linear House of Hardcore Twitch TV champion. Do you know that I was already searching on Cage Match <laughs> to see if House of Hardcore is still an ongoing concern? I hope I, uh, there's no there's no place for Tommy Dreamer in this industry. I hope that's not a thing anymore. They have not had a show since uh, December 2019 from Waukesha, Wisconsin. Challenge of the Super Friends. Boy, this is a uh, main event. Jacob and and Sefa Fatu with Rikishi defeat Davey Boy Smith Jr. and Mr. Anderson. That that sounds... I can't even make a joke. That just sounds that bad. Oh, do you want me to continue going down this? Let's let's do it. We got some... The semi-main event is uh, Luchasaurus and Marco Stunt of the Jurassic Express teaming with Cal Hero versus Tag Team Move. That's Nick Colucci and Swoggle and Sean Spears. I love the Swoggle kayfabe commentaries interview where he's like, in the building, I was the most over guy. It's just, (laughs) you know, TV ratings plummeted and everybody online hated me, but in the building, I was the most over guy. It's just, I don't know. That's just a crazy thing to say. I, I want to throw one more match on this show at you. And yes, I already told you when the show was, but I want you to erase that statement from your brain here. Because okay. I'm going to tell you the six-man tag, and I want you to tell me what year this match should be from. We'll just say what, when this match should be from. Okay? Okay. Eric Cannon teaming with Jack Stane <laughs> and the Beer City Bruiser defeat Jay Bradley, Jeff Luxon, <laughs> and Ryan Cross. <laughs> Slow, when was this match <laughs> even before you said jay bradley i was like oh this is like a match that billy corgan would book and then you said jay bradley who was billy corgan's favorite wrestler that is that is straight up like re- uh oh god what was that company uh Revolution Pro? Yeah, the, the Jeff Resistance Ka- Pro? Yep. The, 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 oh. no, because billy corgan was resistance pro but what was the jeff Katz thing was that revolution pro that was Wrestling Retribution Project. That fucking yes, it was. Uh, <laughs> that is that is Wrestling Re- Retribution Project core right there. That is like a six man tag of guys that are working a match on a company that is trying to get a TV deal. Yeah, and this match will only emerge like eight years later. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh, that Wrestling Retribution Project stuff that hit right when. COVID hit. COVID, I think that yeah. Jeff Katz was like, hey, well, since we're all home, I might as well throw well, this well, hard this, drive online. This is after Jeff Katz like took the money, did the show, never gave any of the deliverables, like years, and then disappeared. He like, he came in from the cold during COVID and decided 
we needed to watch a lot of small, uh, a lot of a wrestling project that never got off the ground with people that we probably don't want to be seeing wrestle in 2020, let alone see their stuff from 2013. There are some Kenny Omega matches there, though. That's a, it's a, fa- it's a, it was fascinating, absolutely fascinating, utterly insane. Uh, I, I think we talk about it on the DGSA Rewind or Rewatch because this is oh, the kind co- of that I made sure to put that in the notes, and that so that's. <laughs> That's like summer of 2012, so uh, probably the untu- uh, untouchable 2012 and Enter the Dragon 30 anniversary show. My guess is that is when we talk about that, and then that is around the time that we do the Davy Richards Team Ambition Iowa heist. But as it, it, anybody that is new to this show that wants to hear about two and a half hours of Davy Richards drama in your podcast feed for open the voice gate search for an episode called the davy chronicles i cut up every piece of news and gossip that we talked about about davy richards during the dragon gate usa rewind and rewatch series and put that into its own super episode so that is all there if you if you've never heard it it is something that we have gotten a ton of compliments on which makes me feel really good yeah it it was one of those kind of cool projects that we got to do and it's something that i'm glad we did it because at the very least there's not a lot of stuff out there anymore about DGUSA, so I'm glad that at least we have something that at least will chronicle it into perpetuity. Absolutely. Like, that, those, by the way, uh, Wrestling Retribution Project included, those are all the thoughts I had on that Fukuoka show. <laughs> so let's get into DG and USA. We had a kind of a smattering of stuff we're going to get into. GCW had another weekend of shows. Deadlock had a show that they taped last week go up online at OKC. Between the two of us, we kind of have covered everything. Uh, I had one like big point I wanted to make, and I don't know if we want to make it now or talk about the stuff we wanted to watch first. No, please uh, make your big point now. My big takeaway from watching these GCW shows in Deadlock, and especially, I, I, Case, I know you caught this one, the match. So SB Kento last week saying, hey, I want to work this weekend. Boy, did he manage to find places to work this weekend. Uh, his match with Alec Price from Sunday really like opened my eyes to something about SB Kento, something that we were always kind of, we thought he would be able to do, but actually seeing it happen in practice was one of, I think, in, in a way, like it, it, being a Dragon Gate fan, I think the most rewarding thing you can get out of it is watch people progress throughout their careers. Like it's not immediacy here. It's something about you, you know, when Shun Skywalker becomes Dreamgate champion, you're like, hey, this is the guy that for years I was terrified was gonna kill himself doing a plancha to the floor and now X, Y, and Z. It's one of the more rewarding things. But as it relates to Shun or uh, to SB Kento, on these shows, I wouldn't say like a dyed-in-the-wool baby face, but we got to see SB Kento work as a face in front of crowds. And this kid, and I say kid because I'm like 14 years older than him, I feel like this, but this guy, he has a command of charisma, like walking into a room he's never been in, and he did it a couple times so far, and has the crowd eating out of the palm of his hands. Yes, some of that is having a very easy chant, but the fact that you have a very easy chant and you make sure they say the chant like the ring announcer says to chant, he's off to the races here because he came, he came off from on both of these shows case. I felt like he came off like an absolutely charismatic god. Like he's going to, the, the SP Kento face run is going to be something special. And I feel like we got to see seeds of that here this weekend. 
Look, I said after his first match in December of 2019, I said I think Drangate might have found their next Yamato. And, you know, we're two guys who are heavily invested. We we care more than just about anybody else. And I, and I think my fear is that people listen to this show and uh, think at times we're being too hyperbolic. But I said that in 2019 and that's a heavy handed statement. That's saying he is the next face of the number two promotion in Japan. And I'm comparing him directly to the most successful wrestler they've ever had. And that was after his first match. And every step he's taken along the way has only made me more confident in that prediction. And watching him here in America work as a babyface. It only reaffirmed that. And I think the crazy thing is now, and I've, I've always looked at the money in SB Kento not being as a heel, but as a baby face. And I'm so glad that he did and is, is doing this heavy handed heel stuff in Japan and has been doing it for as long as he has now, because I, I think it's going to be a really unique thought exercise that's going to help him grow as a wrestler. What I did not anticipate was that a year and a half down the line, two years later, really, SB Kento was going to have this generational foil into Kuma Fujiwara. And as odd as it might sound now, given the year that Fujiwara has had, again, one year into his career where he solely worked as this underdog babyface, I think the money is in SB Kento as a face versus Fujiwara as a heel. And I think there's going to become a, a point in time sooner rather than later, somewhere in the 2020s, not the 2030s, where that is the biggest match possible in this company. And I think these two are going to make Drangate a lot of money. Yeah, and it, it it's something with Kento. Like one of the things that I noticed, and I was was holding off to talk about this until I get to talk to you about this. Answered a big question for me this weekend, and that is, it's easy in Dragon Gate that if you are a if you have like a certain finish, you do your finish. Like you will like the SB shooter. That's fine. That's his finish there. But him going onto the Indies and him getting outside of Dragon Gate, he was going to have to have something other than SB Shooter, and he kind of has this with this really brutal-looking Fisherman Buster, uh, Fisherman Michinoku Driver Buster thing. That was something I wanted to see, was see, like, okay, what do we have here for this? And it's something that, like, he beat Alec Price with it, and it looked brutal. I think Alec Price is a, is someone that I want to see come over, to be honest, guys. That, that's another topic, though. But it was cool to see, like, SB like develop these things that I felt like that that we would want to see out of him on this excursion. Like, oh hey, not having a finisher that isn't a submission because people might not want to tap out to you. Yeah, I was really impressed with SB Kento on these two shows that I watched, the Deadlock Pro Carolina Classic show and the GCW show, which was Veda Scott and Dave Prazak doing doing commentary, which once again, Veda Scott, a total professional sold me on the idea that she's invested in SB Kento's career, more power to her. Uh, I, I thought she did very well there. Dave Prezak, a complete non-entity. Uh, I, I have the utmost respect for him, but in 2022, he's just not bringing any effort to the table. Uh, it's funny you say that about Alec Price, because on that deadlock show, he was in a triple threat match. I'm sorry, a three-way match against La Estrella in this guy, Yoya. Have you seen him wrestle before? Yeah, I've seen Yoya. Yoya was a part of that cursed uh, GCW settlement series show. I put myself through it in uh, in Chicago. Let me tell you, he was one of the best people on that show. Yeah, that was the guy that 
really made an impression on me. And I thought I thought Price was fine. I, I by no means thought he embarrassed himself. I, it, he looked like he belonged in the same ring as SB Kento. But in that three-way match on the Deadlock show, Yo-Yo is about the same size as a stray, and he's got kind of an interesting look. And he was the one where I was like, yo, what? What, what's he doing? Does he have a passport? Because I would like to see him in Japan. Yeah, Yoya, he used to do a lot of Paradigm when I watch Paradigm. Like, again, my brain works in bad ways against myself at times. But he was always, like, really cool. And, like, this three-way, it was something... I, I guess one of the reasons I look at, like, Alec Price, I'm like, oh, he just really needs refinement. <laughs> I'm like, oh, just come to Dragon Gate for yes, six no, months. I, I, Alec Price, that's exactly it. Alec Price is a guy who... Him before Drangate and him hypothetically after Drangate, they would be two different wrestlers. It would be a completely different universe that he put himself in, that he would put himself in if he was able to tour there. Yeah, no, for sure. But Yoya is like really cool. The thing that got me about Price is like he is so lanky and he does like the, he did like that crowd dive, like that crowd dive he did in that three way match. I was like, you're throwing your, your body around amongst two guys who might be 5'3. They might be that. And he just like jumped, launched himself like as if he was stage diving onto the from a show. It was insane for him to do that. BK Westbrook, on the other hand, he wrestled SB Kento in a singles match on that Deadlock Pro show. And I like BK. I think he's a guy that has some potential. I like how charismatic he is. He did one nearly kill SB Kento on kind of a I, I don't even know what you would call it but the spot where sb kento was supposed to hit the ropes and he hit the floor instead and then later went knees first to sb kento's rib cage on a springboard moonsault and after i saw that i kind of did the old wipe my hands motion and said that will be the last we see of bk westbrook wrestling a drangate guy <laughs> those were two really ugly spots in one match and the shame was the rest of the match was really good like i at least coming f- to it from like our perspective like sp kento again crowd work machine like insanely crowd work machine and and, and just like i know we've said this before but deadlock deadlock actually makes it look like that should be something you pay attention to like they had lights synced up like the production's on point everything about it just feels like you know what it kind of reminded me of case now that? that i think of it like tooth like do you remember like the period like this I, I, I'm bad with like trying to think of the years, but it's maybe 2016, 2017, when like everyone's like, go look at progress. Like they do their own self contained thing. Oh, okay. I, I, hopefully, does not go down that road. Does not go down that road. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I should not feel the need that need to get that. What, what is Joe Dombrowski hiding? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, yeah, yeah. You have like Joe, you have Joe Dombrowski and Rich Pacini on commentary. They're great. It, it, it feels like a promotion that is trying to do like 2004 Ring of Honor. And I mean that in the nicest way possible because Gabe Sapolsky has never had a lighting setup as nice as what Deadlock has. And that should just be stated up front. They take themselves seriously. They put out a professional product. They shoot in HD. They have backstage promos. They've added Dabrowski and Bocini, which is as good of a combination as you're going to find on the independents. That's a major league broadcasting team right there. That is, that is legit, and they were great uh, in both the Andrew Everett versus Shun Skywalker match and the SB Kento versus BK Westbrook match. I'm going to make one small complaint, and this is a sign that things are going well when this is my complaint, but they were talking in the Everett versus Skywalker match about 
you know, how Andrew Everett's working, you know, the gimmick now is Andrew the Giant, which is fine, whatever. Uh, they were talking about how Shun wrestles the quote-unquote Dragon Gate style and how Andrew Everett is wrestling as this powerhouse. And it just, it's just a little bit. It's not a big complaint, but it just shows that they're not super familiar with Shun. I wish they would have hammered home the idea that in Dragon Gate, Shun is a powerhouse, but they kind of went back to the trope of like, oh, it's the Dragon Gate style. These guys move fast. You got to keep up, which is fine. I thought they did a good job. I just wish those two guys specifically, because I think so highly of them, would have been able to hit the idea that Shun in Dragon Gate is like a big muscular dude who throws people around. Yeah, I or at least say like, oh yeah, no, like Shun's and Shun's style, like he is of the Dragon Gate school, but he is more adapted to like he is the steamroller, you know, you can't or the runaway train. That's kind of his style more so than like the flowing sprint. Yeah, completely. Yeah, but uh, that match on the it opened the show. I mean, Everett's just a guy. I mean, like this is a Carolina indie. You're gonna book Andrew Everett, you know, so like. He's going to have a certain level thing. Like I would normally be like, there's no no reason in the world why Shun Skywalker should lose to Andrew Everett, but here it made sense at the at the very least, given what Deadlock is. And I also I find Andrew Everett to be a very passable wrestler, and I thought this match with Shun was was pretty good. I went three and a half stars on this. I was three and a quarter. I I guess I should talk about like star ratings for stuff we we've kind of talked about. I was uh, three flat on the th- the, the three way dance, but it was a five minute match. I was. I like. I think I liked the BK Westbrook SB Kento match more than you did. I was three and three quarters on it. Yeah, I was not that high, uh, but at, you you were super into this SB Kento weekend, so I I, I don't I, blame you there. I, I again, I have always seen him as like, oh, the money's in SB Kento as a babyface. So to just have that it, in front of me, I was like, yes, this is this is my whole thing. <laughs> this is <laughs> this is what I've been waiting on, and I'm, I'm I'm glad you were as into it as as well. Yeah, but I think out of everything. I think the best thing I saw was the Alec Bryce match with SB Kento this weekend. Like that was a lot of fun. And it just really kind of like shows you like the difference in a lot of ways about, Oh, this person comes into these buildings, which for GCW for once, they were not embarrassing buildings, but like he walks in there. It's like, dude, even already you're, you're above this. I don't, I look, I did not watch the, show with Yamato versus Jonathan Gresham because somebody told me that match was boring and I just didn't I I'm sorry I just didn't want to watch it that Detroit or that Columbus building looked like shit though yeah like the it, and it was something that they very clearly like saw that they had like a scrim that had lights on it and I was like oh we could use this as an entrance and it's just like or deadlock actually has like a curtain that they come through that has their logo on it you know real dichotomy there but yeah the I watched the the Gresham match, Yamato versus Gresham. Gresham won with a uh, leg roll clutch. Uh, it, it it's something where like if you like the style, like I like when Yamato has someone he can grapple with, and it's just not like perfunctory grappling. And that's not what this was. This was Gresham. Gre- Jotham Gresham can certainly grapple with Yamato, but it just was something that that like it didn't ever hit the gear, and then it was a roll of pen. So, like, it, it, it was something that was, like, if this was a match that, like, how you would expect it to be laid out, you would want this match to be 25 minutes, not 15. Because they went, at minute 15, they went straight to the finish. Ooh, was there anything else uh, worth watching on these indie shows? I 
Yeah, uh, the four way that SBS. So this tournament was eight was was eight guys for first round matches in a four way. The four way was okay. Uh, Yamato versus Blake Christian. Like my big takeaway is Yamato is a guy who walks into a building and immediately figures out where the hard cam is. Every building he's at. Cause he, cause he does his poses in this like bad Columbus building, and it's just like, oh, Yamato has not found a, has not met a hard camera he has not wanted to pose into. Like that was my takeaway from <laughs> yeah, that match. That's very fair. Yeah. <laughs> it just, I, I mean, Blake Christian, we don't. This, this is not the place for me to go off about that. I, I thought his match with Shun was good. I, but one Blake Christian versus Durangate match is plenty for me. I don't think I'm gonna watch yeah. the Yamato match. Yeah, uh, do you want me to read you my notes I have for this match case? Of course. First note, immediately. Does Yamato respect Blake Christian? Uh, oh, sec- no. Second note, Yamato will find a body part and fuck it up. It, it was worked around the knee. And I said, it's so hard to take Christian seriously. Really bad Blake Christian comeback. The finish was a Frankensteiner of Almighty. My thoughts on the match, eh. Did they sell the Frankensteiner as a finish like they knew it could have been a finish or did it catch them by surprise as well well they mean like, well, like oh that's like how scott signer won matches oh my god they explained god. it away that way god. yeah god damn it i hate them so much and it was veda too <laughs> that's okay veda, veda still the veda gets the the veda hey you know <laughs> it, it, i don't it, know why i don't know why low that energy dave so prezak is doing commentary with you you know you're gonna slip up I think Veda has done a really good job. Excellent job. That, oh, God, that is so annoying to me for some reason. All right, that's yeah. fine. All right, that's, th- those are my thoughts. I'm not, I can't do the GCW thing again. That is, I'm so yeah, I, sorry I, I, hope, I asked that. That is so annoying. <laughs> I, 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 I'll say this. Yamato, I get why Yamato works GCW. Sadly, GCW is the pinnacle right now. Like, it, it makes sense there. I have no reason ever think other than, like, exposure reasons why I speak Kento should work gcw ever again after this weekend he, he's already accomplished what what we kind of wanted him to see on this excursion you know i like, was really hoping sb kento would spend more time in mexico and obviously you know you and i have have seen some stuff in regarding to the in, in regards to the uphill battle of getting the Drangate guys on triple a shows but the two matches that he's worked for triple a i just i don't know how you don't see that and go okay he's on every every show he can work going forward until he has to go back to Japan. That's really where I would have liked to have seen him land and spend some time. And unfortunately it just doesn't look like that's going to happen. Yeah. But at least with crazy boy, he'll get bookings down there, you know? Yeah. That's, or at least... that's, that's going forward. I, mean, I know SP Kento has a few, a few us dates lined up through the end of the year. And, and it's my understanding that he'll be back in Japan in early 2023, because as we talked about on this show, USND promoters had dates on him from I think September 1st through December 31st was when he was available. I would like to see him spend more time in Mexico. I think for him specifically for for Shun and Yamato, they did the right thing. They worked as many American dates as they could. For SB Kento, I think he would be far more interesting in Mexico at this point. Yeah, whereas Estrella get him. Uh he's thriving on the US Indies. Like this is kind of like what I this is why I was like, oh yeah. This is why I said I think Estrella should wear GCW, but probably not Fujiwara. I, yeah. I'm being proven right. Yeah, absolutely. But I unless you have anything else, Case, I think that's gonna do it for us this week. Uh, a solid hour seventeen. I'll take that. I'm good to go. Yeah. So as we said, uh we are shooting I think we're playing next week expect us uh wednesday or thursday uh there is no on-air dragon gate stuff 
until of the Kobe Sumbo Hall show on the 5th. They might be throwing stuff up on the network. But at the very least, next week, we will be previewing Gate of Destiny. We'll we'll take a look at what's happening in that week. I mean, case that four, I, I mean, Kobe, not really. But you have three big shows within a period of five days. It's going to be nice. Yeah, announced. I, I, well, I am... I am so excited for Gate of Destiny, so we'll talk all about that next week. A short episode this week. Expect a very long one next week. Yes, sir. So the best way to support us, of course, is follow us on Twitter at Open Voicegate. If you're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, throw us a five-star rating review. It helps others find out about Open the Voicegate, and we greatly appreciate it. But again, follow us on Twitter at Open Voicegate. Cases at underscore in your case. I'm Matt Fujihaya. Thanks for listening to Open Voice Gate. We'll be back with you next week previewing Gate of Destiny. Take care.